the more they looked at it, basically what it was explained was that there's money coming from the state for enrichment and what you guys are doing, it counts as enrichment. So you're already doing a program that would be great. And so you could get $25. So really you don't have to do anything. And sounds too good to be true. (laughs) Sounds like enrichment for the defendants. Welcome to Crime News Insider. This is Jorge Del Portillo, and with me, as always, is Lori Hoff. How you doing, Lori? Hello, Jorge. You know, it's been a while since we recorded uh, an actual episode here because I've been busy. I was in trial. We had another hiatus earlier this year, and believe it or not, crime is still occurring. It is. No, and we actually have real jobs, yes, so we have to exactly. do them sometimes. So, all listeners out there, please tell everyone stop committing crimes so we could do more podcast episodes. <laughs> uh, all right. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about one of the largest taxpayer frauds or, or on taxpayer dollars, uh, a school charter fraud in California history. And this was somewhat throughout the nation in some of these charter school frauds. Uh, in April, there was a an investigative report from the North Carolina State Auditor that they said a North Carolina charter school falsified student records and misused school funding to the tune of $400,000. That sounds like a lot of money, but that sort of pales in comparison to the numbers we're going to be talking about. That is a drop in the bucket compared to the numbers we're talking about. And in Minnesota, someone else was charged with misspending $30 million in federal funding meant for school children for their meals. And they spend it instead on luxury cars and lakefront properties, all that stuff. We'll put a link into the show notes, but that's still even pales into comparison to the charter school scandal here in California that was uncovered by our very own district attorney's office. So with that, we are bringing on a special guest, Deputy District Attorney Leon Shore. Leon Shore has been a Deputy District Attorney in the San Diego DA's office for over 20 years. He's handled everything from robberies and homicides and general crimes. And he came to our special operations division where he initially worked on hate crimes as well as public integrity issues. For the past 10 years, he has focused on crimes committed by those in control of public dollars, included elected or appointed officials, and he also handles crimes against the public officials. He is the office's liaison to the criminal and civil grand juries and works with different ethics commissions, local and statewide. He is the co-chair of the California District Attorneys Association's Public Integrity Committee and, little known fact, he's a San Diego Big Brother of the Year in 2009. Leon Shore. I did not well, know that fact. Yeah, uh, now you know. Now Leon I know. Shore, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us, you know, I want to know about how these people are able to steal so much money. And in order to do that, let's talk about charter schools in general. What is a charter school and how are they funded in California? Sure. Charter schools are, are public entities. They, and the types of charter schools that we were looking at specifically were non-classroom based charter schools. So like an online only charter school. And most charter schools being public entities have to be sponsored or have to uh, have an oversight that exists from a school district. So what they do is if you want to open up a charter school, you find a school district that's uh, willing to take on the responsibility of having you as a charter. And then you petition for getting a charter. And if it's approved and you meet all the guidelines, then you get funding uh, from the state that goes through the districts. And depending on the type of charter school that you 
have you then get money just like a regular brick and mortar school for the number of students that you have. And it's based on what we refer to as average daily attendance dollars. Yeah. What is that? So average daily attendance is, you know, I'm sure everyone went to school in one fashion or another. Um, when, when the teacher takes attendance, they see whether or not the student is going to be there. A school district gets paid for every day that a student attends class. Say there's 180 days. If they attend 180 out of 180 days, then that becomes one average daily attendance, which equals, for instance, $10,000. So if the student attends every day, the school district gets you know approximately $10,000. Then in our case, and in most of them, uh, they were able to manipulate their numbers to qualify for 100% of funding, even though they would not have qualified. So before we talk about this crazy way that you first learned about how there could be a potential problem and what you did about it. Can we, can we just entice our listeners with the amount of money that was fraudulently stolen from, from our schools, from our taxpayers in this case? Was it more than (laughs) 400,000? It was more than 400,000. So depending on the way that you look at it and the way that, that we treated the entire case was that because of the way that charters were all set up, that all the money came that came in from the state to the schools, all of it is fraudulent. And we narrowed down to a, a particular time period, which covered about 18 months, uh, where the actions were most egregious and we were able to really track it down. So during that 18 months, these operators were able to, to get from the state about $400 million. Of which uh, not all of it was you know, stolen or placed in their pockets. Uh, some went towards actual charter students um, and some went towards actual teachers, but the individuals were able to siphon away a significant portion of it. Depending on how you look at it, we put the two main folks, uh, their personal thefts at over 50 million, and then the different businesses that they were operating and things they were involved with, uh, those numbers kept going higher and higher. Let, let's, let's pause on, on that, that th- those numbers are astronomical wow. and it's just, it's ridiculous to think that, that our taxpayer dollars went into their pockets and not to our children in our schools. But how did you first hear about this? How did this even become a, a fly in your ointment, so to speak? Well, our unit gets all sorts of referrals, but this one was, a, was even more unique. One of our investigators was talking to a friend of his who happened to be an investigator as well in the office. And that investigator was on a board of a little league. I think it was actually a football program like a Pop Warner. And they'd been approached by an outside individual with a fundraising idea. And the idea was that if if this sports group would sign up their kids for a summer program, that they would each, each of the kids would qualify for $25. And that would go towards raising money. And if everyone, you know, if anyone has kids playing soccer or doing dance or whatever else it is, there's always a need for the money for uniforms, for coaches, for whatever else. So 
Uh, it seemed like a great way for them to make money, but they weren't really sure what that meant, what they had to do for $25. And they represented, you just signed up for this program, you get $25 per kid. The more they looked at it, basically what it was explained was that there's money coming from the state for enrichment. And what you guys are doing, it counts as enrichment. So you're already doing a program that would be great. And so you could get $25. So really, you don't have to do anything. And sounds too good to be true. (laughs) Sounds like enrichment for the defendants. Yeah. So it came into our unit just really kind of over coffee between Don Holmes, one of our lead investigators, and Dave Iarillo, another investigator. And they were, should we take a look? You know, what is this really? What is it? Who's doing this? Uh, where's the money coming from? Is it legitimate? And and frankly, if it is, maybe this should be something we're you know passing on to every local kids. And quickly what they found out was it was going through these online charter schools and that you had individuals that were going out and signing up kids. And what they would need was they would also need their uh, date of birth and the school that they were going to. And from that, they would then enroll them into a summer charter school program. And that was for an online charter. Most of the kids and parents had no idea that the kids were even being signed up for anything. When that occurs, whether or not you know you know or, or don't know, obviously you should know. They sign a contract in the beginning. So if your you know if your child wanted to you know move to a charter school at the time that they're signing up for a charter school, they sign a contract which explains you know when they would start, how long the program would go, and the funding is based on the starting date and then how long they're in school. Uh, and these folks basically ended up signing up, a, you know, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of kids across the state. And they would sign them up backdating what would be a start date and starting to qualify for money. And if all you did was actually have these kids in school, then they, in summertime, they would make, or they would qualify for about $2,000 worth of programming for the summer. Uh, But these kids, what was happening was the programs would get $25. And then our defendants programs would get the remaining starting with $2,000. And then as they figured out how to manipulate the calendars more because of the way that there's kind of loopholes in the system, they were able to increase the 2000 and almost double it to make about $4,000 a student. And then so so if I understand it correctly, they would sign up these kids. They're, they don't know what they're signing up for. It's this online summer school program where they could get from the state two to maybe $4,000 per kid. And they're just giving $25 to, to the sports program or whatever kid for this fundraiser. Do I got that Correct. right? Okay. Yeah, that's, wow. That's right. What, so when you, when you're now uncovering this and looking into it and you are obviously have a team of investigators on it at this point, when you start realizing that you're potentially looking at millions of dollars, how do you, as a prosecutor and your team amass the information that you need? Because we have to prove things in a court of law. We can't just say, well, we, well, we believe this is what happened. How do you, how did you go about that process? Uh, so we went a couple different ways. What we started to do is try to figure out where these charter schools were coming from, uh, what the districts were that were sponsoring them or authorizing is actually the term 
And then we were reaching out to the school district. Some of the information you can gather publicly, uh, some, you know, just figuring out, okay, when did they sign up to be a charter school? What was their documentation? Who are their board members? And start reaching out to individuals to see whether or not, you know, maybe we've got it wrong. Obviously, our job is not just find a crime, it's to find whether or not the crime has been committed or if it, you know, a lot of times, a lot of things we look into, there was no crime. And so we needed to understand that. So as we gathered information and started to interview people, we started to have more and more concerns that really what was going on wasn't correct. And then from there, you know, it was writing warrants for different bank accounts and businesses and individuals. We kind of found early on uh, some individuals that we thought were some of the ringleaders of the signing up process. And we did search warrants on their homes, gathering more information. And, and really, a lot of people became more cooperative. Their level of understanding of what they were involved with, the lower level folks, you know, the person that's signing up a, someone for $25 might not completely understand that the top of the chain in this is making $2,000. And so as we went, we were you know, building it the case. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, depending on how you look at it, it just kept continuing to expand. And we kept seeing that there's, you know, it's not just five schools located in San Diego County, but there's 19 schools across the state. Wow. And as we reached out to different school districts, uh, we got very different responses. Some school districts really didn't want to deal with us at all. And then we had a couple, you know, like one up in Sutter County, Northern California, that, you know, was completely relieved. They said that, you know, when oftentimes when charter schools are started and are approved, they're, they're done so with an authorizing board that might not understand everything that they're getting into. And once the school is in, it's very difficult to remove the school. And let me just put a caveat out there that we are by no means negative on charter schools. And as a matter of fact, through the grand jury, we learned more and more about all the positives that, you know, and the need for the charter schools. We're just all about making sure that money that comes in for students goes to students. And so that was our hangout. But this Sutter County, real quick, when we contacted them, they were they're like, oh, we've been saying forever that we think this is a fraud and no one will listen to us. We haven't even spent the money that we've received for oversight because we feel like someone's going to come looking for it. But every time we ask for help, there's no one there to help. So that kind of spurred us on to really, you know, let's see what we can do. Let's try to help these, these school districts out. And what did that what did that end up looking like from a prosecution's perspective? You, you, you mentioned grand jury, so you, you ultimately did a grand jury, but what did that look like and what was the process? Uh, yeah, we were trying to move pretty quickly on this really massive case. And we identified, you know, at least 11 people that we were concerned with their actions. And as you know, when you, if you charge someone just by regular complaint or information, uh, a lot of times, the, the more people that you have and the more well-paid defense that they have, the longer it takes for you to even get into court, even set a date to have 11 people show up at the same time. And right. we saw as we were coming into the spring of 2019, I think now, it's just been going on forever, uh, that the 
the programs that we saw happening were happening across the state and there were uh, there were a ton of bad actors and then there's a ton of lack of oversight by the state and it looked like our 400 million was just going to be drops in the bucket what the state could potentially lose cuz everywhere you look online uh, charter chat groups everyone was trying to sign up as many people as possible for quote unquote summer enrichment we figured it'd be well over a billion dollars worth of state funds if we didn't proceed so wow we we hustled a little bit and we started a grand jury i believe in may of 2019 it, it took nearly 2 months and you know it, it could have been better <laughs> I'm sure we all look back and say we could have done something better. Uh, but at the same time, by the time we indicted and it became public, it really shined a spotlight on uh, some of the potential problems. And hopefully it prevented others and really woke up the state to, uh, to, to institute some, some oversight, maybe eventually. But this grand jury, I mean, like you said, almost two months, 70 witnesses. I saw it was a 235-page indictment. It resulted in convictions. The the main two individuals were, if I remember correctly, uh, Jason Schrock and Sean McManus. Is that right? Correct. And you got convictions in in both. Um, both were sentenced. Both received prison sentence. I want to say. And Sean McManus was a little bit different because he was actually he fled to Australia. Is that right? Yeah. Um, now he is an Australian citizen. And so I'm sure he would say that he just was returning home. Sure. Um, I think that he was spending time in both places, uh, but his main residence was in Australia. You know, as the grand jury was going, obviously uh, people become more aware that there's potential indictments. We'd already executed a lot of different search warrants on places of business of these charter schools. So it didn't come as a huge surprise. And yeah, McManus was back in Australia. So as soon as, as part of our indictment process, uh, we seized assets of, you know, the charter schools and any of the tangential businesses, as well as uh, McManus and Schrock's assets, bank accounts, everything in the United States. Now we had some problems because he was in Australia, we could track money going, uh, but then we couldn't see where it ended up. Um, but so how much, how much money were you able to recover? Um, we're at about $240 million. Obviously the, you know, when you hear 400 million in year 240, that, that doesn't sound very good. Uh, but to put it in perspective, there were a lot of people that got paid for doing things that one, you know, there were some legitimate students that existed and there were teachers and support that needed to exist in order to pay them. And then we as an office made the decision that, you know, even though these charter schools had started incorrectly and uh, illegally and that they, you know, not entitled to any of that $400 million, there were different things, you know, like school districts that received funds for providing you know, some level of oversight. And even the the little leagues that received $25 a kid and other private schools that shouldn't have been entitled to the money, but received money, we weren't going to go after those individuals who didn't know what they were doing was wrong and hopefully utilized that money for what it was intended for, which was, you know, providing some type of education to the kids. Do you think that 
this type of work and, and Jorge mentioned shining the light on, you know, other groups that may be trying to do something nefarious with our taxpayer dollars that are supposed to go to our kids. Do you think that there is at least more awareness? Do you think there is more oversight? Do you think there's more work to be done? Uh, specifically for, for charter schools, I think that there's more work to be done. Now with that, I do think that all, all sides kind of want to do the work, meaning there are plenty of really good charter schools that don't want to be thrown in the same basket as a, a bad charter school. Right. And, and they're protective of you know money that comes into them and making sure that they can do well. It's a very political area and we're really not trying to get into the politics of it. What we've been trying to do is say, hey, let's make sure the money gets to the kids, whether it goes through charter school, goes through traditional brick and mortar school. And how do we do that? How do we make sure, you know, so we've, we've had some suggestions. Everyone relies on auditors. Um, we heard a lot of testimony about how important the auditors are. And when we had the auditor come in for the grand jury, very nice gentleman. And, and it, the way he explained it, and it was what we had seen was really the auditors aren't asked to do much. So he was doing everything within what was required, uh, yet the information that he receives is provided by the charter schools. And he doesn't have the independent ability to do reviews. He asks for it. If he found something that he didn't like and writes a report, it goes first to the charter school and they have the ability to just fire him and not move the report along. So hopefully we can continue to work with folks to move forward some progress or even better if they can do it without us and we can keep moving on to the next thing. If they can make some change, that, that'd be great. Well, we have, a, we have a broad listening audience. So as Jorge can tell you, um, we don't just, you know, we don't just have our local San Diegans. We have people across the state that listen to us, but also across the United States and beyond. And I will say that, you know, you're, you are probably the foremost expert now, Leon, in this, in this area, whether you like it or not. So our office is a resource in this area as it relates to making sure that type of fraudulent activity doesn't occur at the expense of our kids. Well, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't include, you know, we were fortunate we had what was a temporary employee and then came on more permanently, uh, Kevin Fannin, who just randomly had approached me through the office. Uh, he'd been working in the education field as an attorney and, and I'd met him previously and he asked whether or not I had suggestions of where he could do more than just uh, work for the firm he was working for. And ironically, we were in the middle of, you know, putting this all together. And I said, well, what do you know about uh, <laughs> charter schools and this and that? And we really relied very heavily on him because as you know, we might know about different crimes, but depending like in this role that I've had, you really have to learn about all sorts of whether it's taking a bond to market or, you know, whatever. It, it's not, you know, if you just came out of a, a regular old robbery, those seem a little more easy to understand for me and then easy to <laughs> explain to the jury versus, you know, our, I think we were about three hours worth of an opening just in the grand jury to explain, here's what a charter school is. Here's wow. how this is funded. Here's this, here's that, here's how, you know, all the educational dollars get split up. Here's, you know, how they're able to manipulate this and do that. Uh, I definitely rely a lot on Kevin to get us up to speed and the investigators. And like, you know, everything from our support staff to the people at 
um, 13th floor when, you know, our administration, when, I, when we say, well, we'd like to do warrants across the state and we'd like to <laughs> charge superintendents and we'd like to then afterwards when they're not doing proper oversight and they're still not conforming, we'd like to sue them all civilly. And uh, they're like, wait a second, you're suing <laughs> school districts in Santa Barbara civilly? Like, we don't want to take money from kids. Like, no, no, that's, we're not going to take money from kids, but we're going to make sure that they change and comply with the law and then they can keep their money. So to get that support in our office, we were, we were pretty fortunate. Yeah. Really, really successful all the way around. Yeah. Well, and we're fortunate to have you. And uh, like you were saying, like, you know, everyone has to become, every prosecutor has to become an expert, so to speak, and learn the type of case that they're, they're going to prosecute Lori with gangs or, you know, with, specific narcotics. And this was an entirely new field of charter schools. So that was good that uh, Kevin was there to, uh, to help you out, but it's really a testament to you and the team and uh, the office that you were able to secure this conviction. Uh, four years in prison, $37 million fine, outstanding work. And I would be remiss to not say that you were awarded the prosecutor of the year for your efforts. So congratulations Woo! to that. Well-deserved. So uh, you are not done yet, sir. We're going to test your fraud knowledge and abilities. We end each show with a quiz where we usually look at the laws on the books. But in this instance, I picked out some fraud trivia. And great, our- great. <laughs> I'm relying on you, Leon. Yeah, exactly. I would, I'm going to get it wrong otherwise. <laughs> so yeah, I might have to go learn it real quick. <laughs> <laughs> You'll recognize some of these names, but two are real. One is fake. And you have to guess which item is the fake are you ready yes okay you're not here we go here we go a charles ponzi was convicted of a mail fraud in 1920 where he schemed his investors by promising them a 50 percent return in 45 days if they invested in his business of buying and selling postal reply coupons you guys have heard ponzi yes yeah all right b the phrase if you believe that then I've got a bridge to sell you, comes from the crimes of George C. Parker, who in the late 1800s was convicted of fraud after duping customers by selling them the Brooklyn Bridge. C, the term con man comes from confidence man, a term attributed to Frank Murphy, who was convicted of fraud in 1929 after selling fake stocks outside the New York Stock Exchange. Leon, since you are our guest, I will ask you to go first. Which one do you think is the fake? Uh, I'm going to go with B as the fake just because buying a bridge sounds, <laughs> I won't do it a bridge too far. I guess I did. <laughs> um, but all of them sound pretty good. I'll, I'll go I know. with B. B. I think, B is Corey, a fake. I think you had way too much fun on this one. I did. Too much time <laughs> on your hands. You, you finished your case. You finished your trials. I was reading all about fraudsters. <laughs> Had a fun time. Well, I'm going with B because I trust Leon, which I shouldn't. No, that I do. But I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're going with B as well. Well, let's start with A, where Charles Ponzi convicted of fraud in 1920, schemed his investors by promising them a 50% return in 45 days if they invested in his business of buying and selling postal reply coupons. A Ponzi scheme. He was the inventor. You both think this is the real one, and this one is real. That was his Ponzi scheme. So there was this. International postal reply coupons where like in Spain, it was really cheap and you could trade it in for U.S. postage that was 
at a higher rate. So there's this arbitrage it's called, and you could profit. And so he would tell these people like, Hey, there's this arbitrage invest in me. I'll give you guaranteed returns. And of course he would use that money from the investors to pay the new investors. Eventually it all collapses like any Ponzi scheme does. He was eventually convicted. Uh, he was convicted of other crimes, ended up being deported to Italy uh, where he was from, but that is the, the origination of Ponzi yeah. scheme. Good to know. Yes. Let's go to B, the phrase, if you believe it, then I've got a bridge to sell you. Comes from the crimes of George C. Packer, who in the late 1800s was convicted of fraud after duping customers by selling them the Brooklyn Bridge. You both think this one is the fake and this one is real. Sorry. (laughs) That that is a real You led me on a bridge to nowhere, Leon. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I frauded you. I defrauded you. Uh, So George C. Packer, not only was he selling the Brooklyn Bridge, what he would do is, unfortunately, he would target immigrants coming up into New York and, and said, Hey, I, you know, I'm looking for people to run a toll booth on the Brooklyn bridge, come walk over with me. And there's, he posted a for sale sign and they, he would say, Oh yeah, actually I'm selling the bridge. If you just want to buy it from me anyways. And the police would know his scheme worked because they would find victims erecting a toll booth on the Brooklyn oh, bridge. Say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You do not own this. Um, he would oh, no. forfeit, uh, um, create fraudulent deeds, showing he was the owner of the Brooklyn Bridge. He'd also sold other public landmarks like Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. the New York Met, Grant's Tomb, and the Statue of Liberty. Believe it or not, he, and he famously he must have been a good salesman. Jeez. Yeah, right. Talk about the ultimate con man. Um, he famously escaped prison after snagging a uh, sheriff's hat and coat and just walked out the door. But he, he eventually uh, was sentenced to prison after that. So that's a little bit of uh, fraud history there. That means C, Conman does not come from Farring Murphy, 1929. I made that up. It comes from a guy in 1849 who he would basically steal watches. He would pretend, hey, Leon, remember me? Uh, you know, my name is uh, William. If you would loan me your watch, I'll, I'll bring it to you tomorrow. And these people would loan watches and a newspaper said, beware of the confidence man. So that's where it came from. Oh. So beware wow. of charter school fraudsters as well uh, <laughs> that approach your school programs and, and ask for a, a fundraising event. Is that right, right. Leon? Yeah, that's exactly right. Distrust everyone is what you're saying. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anyone that's asking, asking you for money or giving you money for little to no effort is probably a scam. Unfortunately, uh, we hate to... Uh, not be trusting of individuals, but especially with your kids' information and the public dollars, sad, but yeah, a lot of yeah. people want to take it. Well, Leon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. You did a tremendous job and got a, a great result. So I appreciate your, your work in this field. Great job, Leon. Thank you guys both for having me. I really appreciate it. And hopefully through efforts like yours of exposing some of this stuff, we'll have more people, uh, that are keeping their eyes peeled and more public dollars going to the kids. So absolutely. And I'm sure if uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but um, <laughs> we can edit it out. If it it's horrible. Um, it, yeah, we do. If there are people that are having issues in their area that are related to school theft stuff, I'm sure they can get a hold of us through the CBA or other show notes or something. 
just not my personal number. Okay. Uh, his personal number is 531. <laughs> yeah, we can put a, a link in the show notes um, as well. If you could send that to me, if you want to reach out to the Crime News Insider podcast, send us an email, questions or comments, crimenewsinsider at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at San Diego DDAs. Lori, thank you as always for the podcast. It's a pleasure. And until next time, this is the Crime News Insider Podcast. on this podcast are solely of the speakers and do not reflect the views of the Deputy DA Association nor the District Attorney. Questions and comments can be sent to crimenewsinsider at gmail.com. Please leave a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this show. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at San Diego DDAs. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Well,